Hey, welcome back to the SBP podcast, Mobile Filmmaking. I'm your host, Susie Botello, and you are listening to episode 114. I want to give a quick shout out to every one of you for being awesome who've been submitting films to the International Mobile Film Festival here in San Diego. Hello, I'm Jason C. Marshall in Ottawa, Canada. I'm a filmmaker and a screenwriter. I am also a guest on the SBP podcast, Mobile Filmmaking with Susie Botello. In the Weeds is a series where I focus on formula and structure for narrative screenwriting. Listen to back episodes of this series now and stay tuned for more coming soon. The SBP podcast is the voice of mobile film for everyone who ever wanted to or is curious about making movies and videos using mobile smartphone cameras. Our guest in this episode is Robert David Duncan. He was a participant in our 2015 edition of the film festival as a short film uh, filmmaker. And he is also one of the judges in that short film competition for 2022 next year. So I want you to welcome him. Also really quick, I do want to give a quick shout out to the sponsors because you know what? Let's show off. We've got some great and wonderful sponsors. We're honored. And they are Film Convert, Moondog Labs, Filmic Pro, Engraving Pros, Star Wars Steampunk Universe, Swords and Circuitry Studios, and Mobile Film Stories. And now let's go and talk about NFTs and all kinds of great stuff with Robert now. Hey, we are here with our good friend, Robert David Duncan. Robert is in Vancouver in Canada. Robert, welcome to the SBP podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I am just, it's an honor to have you on our podcast. Uh, We've known each other for many years now. A long time. Weird saying that. Mm -hmm. From BC before COVID. Uh, And uh, in 2014, uh, you submitted a film into our film festival here in San Diego. And we put on the film festival in 2015. And you came, you swam all the way from Vancouver (laughs) to San Diego. Um, And one of the cool things um, about you that you're doing, I find it really interesting. Uh, We're in the world where a lot of people don't even understand what blockchain is. And that's been going around for a long time now. I mean, you know, it's been, I think, since 2016 or something like that, that blockchain has been around, if I'm correct. And now there's this new thing, this new opportunity for uh, artists. And you are taking advantage of this as a filmmaker. I want to share with with our listeners that Robert is an actor, a filmmaker, a director, a multimedia artist, and you are also you're you're a great bunch of other things as well. You're you're a writer and all these other things, but you you are taking advantage of NFTs, and uh, for all our listeners, including myself, who don't really still have a grip on that. Uh, I want to let you all know that Robert is going to teach us a little bit about what that is and how he's using it as a filmmaker and an artist 
and why perhaps if you could, you should too. Right, Robert? Right. Sounds good. All right. So, Robert, let's begin just with, um, I feel like we're teasing everyone, but hang on, everybody. Let's, let's introduce you, Robert, share a little bit, just briefly about you, yourself, as a mobile filmmaker and as this guru of everything. <laughs> ah, thanks. Yeah, you're too kind. Uh, yeah, so I've been uh, making films for, um, I guess it's coming up on uh, 10 years now almost, not quite, but uh, I started, uh, had other careers, and then I went to acting school, became an actor, and started working in uh, films, a lot of indie films here in Vancouver. And, um, you know, being a curious person, I looked around at uh, what the camera person was doing, the lighting people, sound people, and over time, I thought, you know, this actually looks kind of cool. I think I'd like to try being on the other side of the camera. And uh, so I did. And, um, you know, a lot of my work, as you know, Susie's been uh, with uh, smartphones, definitely. Oh, yeah, I know. It's starting with our film festival and that little film, which, you know, it was an ex- it, it sounds like it was an experimental film because it was short, but it. It was really more of a, I don't know what to call it, to be quite honest with you. It was a little bit of a narrative film. There was some thought put into it as you were creating that film um, and as you're editing it. And most people, this is the thing. So I remember in your presentation, Robert, when you were talking about how you made that film and you liked and you really enjoyed uh, going out and filming things that were interesting. And then you would bring it back home, right, into your studio, and you would create a cool little story out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, you've, that's my process for so many of my films. And that's why I love phones is because um, you can just wander out, see something that's cool, and uh, take some film of it and go home and think about it. And that's what I, you're, you're exactly right. That's what I love to do. Uh, bring it home, uh, sit on it for a while, maybe have a look at it a few times and say, what is this telling me? And make a story around that and then do a narrative uh, overlay on top of the uh, imagery. And for me, that was uh, how I started making my first micro short films. Now you moved on from that uh, onto some bigger, longer films, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I've been lucky enough to try, I think, uh, a little bit of everything, a little bit of uh, web series. Uh, I've done a feature or two, uh, some longer form shorts. And um, what I've been doing lately, uh, especially with the pandemic, is doing films in groups of 30, so 30 at a time, exploring a theme from different angles. So, uh, yes, I've done a little bit of everything, and I I see film as another art form that I can uh, use to tell stories. Wow, 30 at a time. Explain just a little bit, just because my mind just just exploded a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I've got an example. Um, I made a series of films. um, This was during early COVID times. So I took a a lawn chair and I went out to the park and sat for a while with a notebook. And I said, you know, I was thinking, what can I do if I can't do what I used to be able to do? So what could I do with myself, with a phone, uh, with other footage, you know, that I can stock footage, I can get my hands on? What kind of a story could I tell with what I have available now, you know, if the pandemic lasts a long time? 
And um, I've always been interested in exploring whether uh, intelligent machines or artificial intelligence could be sort of alive. Uh, and that was one theme I was interested in exploring. And another theme I wanted to explore is um, what happens to us as artists uh, with digital art out there when we die? Uh, does something of us live on? And so I was able to marry this, these two storylines together. One was about a damaged piece of um, artificial intelligence that kind of developed a fascination with this departed artist's digital uh, remains, if you will. And the funny thing, this you'll get a chuckle out of this, I think, because um, one of the films that caught its attention was Mr. Sadhart's Small Day, which I had shown in mm. uh, San Diego. Uh, and this piece of code uh, got fascinated with that film and wanted to find out more about this person who had lived and made films. And um, it's the story of them kind of, their presences kind of, chasing each other if you will and trying to connect uh both beyond life and uh, in digital form and uh, it ended up being 30 different films that take a look at that situation from different sides different angles different considerations and what i like about that series of films is uh, i feel that it can be watched in any order and it's almost like mm. pulling a roulette wheel or you know a, a slot machine you'll get a different story each time but it all revolves around the same uh, thematic material. And they're all short films. And this is through AI. Um, well, I didn't make it through AI, but it's about AI. Like they, one of the characters is a piece of AI. So it, it kind of comes full circle uh, with my, my current interests, which are a lot about um, uh, collaborating with intelligent machines to make art pieces. Wow. Wow. Could you imagine you guys just taking a dive into Robert's brain for a day? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting uh, what you're talking about. And so and, you know, when you said making a film and watching it, you know, because there are 30 films, you can watch each one, dive into each each one of them randomly. Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be in sequence. Uh, that's almost in a way interactive. Right. I think so, yeah, because you can uh, shuffle the playlist if you want and uh, have a different story each time. And I, I do think that's kind of cool. It's um, almost like each tiny little film, and most of them are about a minute, is almost like a little jewel. And um, they kind of reflect uh, all together and create this whole kind of a uh, hologram almost, if you will, uh, in terms of the themes. So that's probably one of the ways that you exercised your brain cells <laughs> <laughs> to uh, bringing you into your um, into your art with the NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't you share first of all what the heck is NFT? Well, I'll share what I know, which is not as much as other people know. Um, but basically, what an NFT is, this is my understanding. It's a non-fungible token. So in other words, it's a unique item that is um, put in a trusted ledger. So in other words, it's like it's got um, a um, provenance. So if you create an NFT and it's your original artwork and you create it on a certain date and time and it gets uh, written to one of the blockchain uh, networks, um, it will stand as an original thing that really couldn't be duplicated if it's the genuine article. 
Um, and the things that drew me to NFTs, honestly, I, I'd kind of ignored a lot of the developments in blockchain because it, there, there was nothing for me in them uh, that interested me over the years. I was aware of what was happening. I sort of knew the basics of it. But when NFTs came out and someone said that it does two things, it, um, it establishes your provenance, your ownership or your origination of something, and that's date stamped. Okay, so it's kind of right. kind of like sending a script into the, uh, you know, to the uh, script registries. It's the same kind of thing, only it's you know electronically verified. Um, that was one thing I liked about it because it, it it helps you know to to if you have an idea first um, to be able to just kind of mint it or um, register it that it was your idea and this is what it looked like and uh, that you had the original you're the originator of it uh, the other thing i like especially because everything is so everything that is digital is online yeah and it's a it's a big vast void of everything and so when things are getting hacked and things are being shuffled around i think what what you're talking about does sound very interesting and a way to verify no no this is mine yeah i think so and you know i think that's one of the things i liked about it the other thing was you could build in a royalty rate for yourself as the creator that would flow back to you no matter how many times this item was resold so there's the uniqueness of it there's only going to be one you know typically of that particular nft that particular piece of art or whatever it is that you've attached to it but you can say that every time this is sold you know i'd like 10 percent to flow back to me and that will happen by virtue of its presence in the blockchain it's written into the encoding so if it sells you know in the unlikely event let's say you were jean-michel basquiat or someone like that uh you sell sold something for 40 dollars um, but then it was worth 10 million many years later some of that would theoretically flow back to you like that's not you know, I don't see any big payoff for that for myself, but I think it's um, in principle, it's really interesting to lock in some sort of flow through to the original creator of something that could theoretically at least go up in value. You know, there are two things that I just thought about when you were talking about that. One of them, and I'm sure you're aware of this, right, is the royalties in the uh, film distribution, right? Everyone above the line getting a royalty check and it comes in the mail in paper that costs more than the one penny that you end up getting in a check, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other thing that I thought of is um, the fact that there are there's news about people selling an NFT for millions of dollars from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, those are the stories that attract attention. And for me, it's, it's actually, I don't see it as a moneymaker. As an artist, um, I see it as just a, a big art gallery. And it's, a, it's through uh, platforms like Rarible or OpenSea. You know, you can let people see your art. Uh, to me, that's really cool. It's like being in a group art uh, show at a, at a gallery, you know, and uh, people will walk by. And, you know, in reality, very few people will come in and see your art. But the few that do, a few might like it. And, you know, every once in a blue moon, somebody might want to buy a piece that you've got on the wall. But I don't look at it as a moneymaker for myself. I, I see it as a way of just reaching more people who might uh, enjoy seeing the art. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's um, on Rarible, you can have people can follow you, you can follow them back. And uh, so you can build a bit of a, a group of people that like your art, you like their art, and you kind of, um, you know, it's a mutually supportive kind of community. But I would say, you know, for most of us, people are just going to look. And if they look and if they enjoy, 
I think that's great because I don't think most of us, you know, would have woken up in the morning a year ago and said, gee, I really want to own an NFT. Uh, you know, it's, it's become a bit of a, you know, a really hyped kind of story. Uh, I'm content that it's just a way for people to see the art. You know, that's, uh, it's just another form of online gallery. And uh, if somebody is a collector and, you know, they want to collect obscure work by obscure people and, and you know, <laughs> and somebody I know's name happens to come up, uh, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll want to buy one. But uh, the mega bucks is not really, I think, what, um, what's drawing me into it in the least. You know, I really be quite content if nobody, you know, if they see the art and they don't buy them, that's totally good for me too. I don't mind. And there's so many different types of art. I think I'm segueing into uh, another question that I want to ask you. But there's so many different types of art. There's, you know, music, there's paintings and digital art. There's movies are uh, partially art as well. Um, there's so much art in the world, writing, you know, everything. And um, art, for the most part, in history, um, it's not like it was a business, but they had, I, re I remember we talked a, a while back about Patreon and the, the concept of having patrons for creators mm -hmm. uh, to, to keep people creating because, you know, everybody's got to make a living somehow, mm -hmm. right? Somehow, yeah. And so every, yeah, every little bit helps. And people do enjoy what people create at the same time. You know, people don't want it gone. I think COVID was a wake-up call to a lot of people, too, uh, when they were uh, shut down and locked down or however you want to call that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, stuck at home, sitting behind a computer, and just basically perusing online and, you know, watching more streaming media, right? Uh, listening to music, watching films, you know, all these things. Um, and they started to realize, I think, and I want to get your, your point of view on this, is that we really, art is a major influence for all of us. Uh, and we need it. We, it's part of our mental health, right? Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, super important. Well, that's it. That's the long answer to the short question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really do agree because uh, I think art is critical. I think that we are uh, mark making animals, you know, and um, it's very important when we create artifacts that we can show to one another and that have meaning for other people. And certainly that's that's been my big motivation in, in sharing the little pieces of art that I do, be they uh, film or, or digital art. It's just that, you know what? Hey, I'll make it. I, you know, I, I have fun making it and if I can throw it out there and one or two people might say, hey, this is kind of cool, that's mission accomplished. You know, that's really what it's all about for me. It's just uh, making and sharing. And uh, as you say, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a business. It can just be a, a craft. And I, I do think it is really important to our lives. Um, on the other hand, do people pay for it reliably? Eh, I don't know. I would... Mm -hmm. I yeah. think I'd be a pretty unhappy person if I was doing any of this to make money. I mean, there's oh yeah, yeah. there's other ways to make money. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that more people, um, you know, like take some of the famous artists of the past, right? 
you know, what, what is, oh yeah, a, an artist or a work of art isn't, isn't really valuable in this world until the artist dies, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then everybody's like, oh, I'm willing to buy that piece of art for millions of dollars. Wouldn't Van Gogh have loved that during, <laughs> while he was making it, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's a really interesting thing. Now, you've done something really interesting that I saw the other day um, with the NFTs. Now, are, is that a first, the film? Mm, I've actually done that before. Um, one of the things is that uh, with uh, NFTs, you're typically looking at pretty small files. And, um, you know, every platform has their, their size limits. But, you know, you're looking at something that typically tops out somewhere between, you know, 100 and 300 megabytes. So you're not going to oh. get a big film on there. So every once in a while, I'll look at some of the smaller things I've done and, uh, you know, think, yeah, you know, this kind of fits. It's 30, 40 meg, uh, 80 meg it might, uh, might do as an NFT. So I did put one up uh, recently, and I, I, I did that because it was based on... Uh, AI-generated imagery that I'd made uh, from photographs I took. And I just thought the whole kind of, it had a bit of a, a cool, high-techy kind of flavor to it uh, in my mind. <laughs> so I thought, why not put this up as an NFT? And again, you know, it may be the odd collector thinks, oh, yeah, I want to collect obscure films by obscure filmmakers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And is willing to, to, to spend a little money on that. And if so, great. If not, people can still go and, you know, get a sense of the film just by looking at it on the platform. They don't have to own it. I mean, that's the thing with digital stuff. If someone likes it, you know, there's really nothing you could do about them right clicking and saving it, turning it into the, your, you know, their screensaver. You'll never know. Um, but, you know, the NFTs are for a particular kind of collector, you know, like the same person who collects uh, sports cards or, um, you know, toy cars from, from decades ago. Uh, it's that kind of person. Um, even people who had pet rocks, you know, like someone says, you oh, know, this stuff sounds cool. I think I'll buy one, you know, I'll, vi- I'll invest, you know, $100 or whatever and buy one just so I can say I, I had a piece of this trend. Um, I think that's really the kind of the faint hope uh, for for selling these things for most people if you're not already famous and if there isn't a lot of hype around uh, or a lot of utility around the nft it's really going to be a very strange curiosity you know the kind of thing someone would pick up in a, a secondhand store while traveling you know an odd little photograph or to my mind it's it's more like that it's 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 mostly that it just gets it out there that okay so th- that's actually pretty interesting so it's basically you know, um, so again, it's genuine. So you know that what you're getting is genuine. It's, it's, it's the first, it's created by this particular person. You're not getting, um, (laughs) like the Mona Lisa that somebody else made type thing, Mm -hmm. um, that you're buying a genuine item, right? If you're buying it and then you're like you used the word investment and collectors. You know, there are people who go to garage sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't they I'm sure they do that there in Canada too. They go to garage sales and they look for little things that the seller himself or herself doesn't even know or realize how valuable that little box is or something like that. And they'll they're sort of experts at this. Um they'll get it. And they know they've got something special. Uh, and then later, you know, they'll hold on to it 
they'll verify everything, which in an NFT, they don't have to do that. They already have it verified. And, um, and then they'll turn around and sell it for more, or they'll pass it on to their families and, or, or give them as gifts or something like that as a collectible item. I think that's really, really interesting. In the digital format, um, that uh, enables you know, creators like you who are artists in, in digital form um, to be able to do that, right? Yeah, that's what really attracted me to it. I thought it was just a, a wonderful idea. It's, you know, in my mind, it's not unlike getting a certificate of registry from the script registries, but stapling it to the actual script and the person could own a verified unique copy of those two items, the certificate of authenticity, you know, the regist- the date stamped registration of when this thing was made and the actual thing itself, you know, so the piece of art and have that all bound up in a single token that is really unique. And as you say, I mean, you can, it's electronically shareable. It could be uh, given to somebody, sold to another person, or it could become part of a really cool little curated collection that that person wants. Maybe they collect obscure uh, indie films under one minute, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. people can, just like your garage sale example, people can uh, make their own little collection of oddities. You know, some people only collect uh, green cars, you know, t- toy cars, right? And and uh, it's really up to the person. So I, I just think they're they're kind of a neat idea. I remember it, it also one of the things that comes to mind is Pinterest. Um, you know, uh, Pinterest kind of has a little bit of that without you know all the the verifying and and genuine. I'm really doing bad with this word genuine whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the I realized a long time ago, I took a photo of um, a worn down uh, out on the country road by where I used to live. And it was a worn down old uh, fire truck. Wow. And it was on the side of a road in a little nook. Mm-hmm. And it was there for a couple of years. And I took this little, I don't know if you remember the Hipstamatic uh, camera app. Um, it rings a bell. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so cool. back in that yeah back in its day basically it pretended i mean there was no way you would aim and shoot and kind of hope for the best mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so it was a little off to the side it, it, it was never you couldn't really frame it right it's changed a lot since then uh it was supposed to look like this vintage camera and everything like that so i took a photo of that one day i pulled over took a photo of that and went on my way and later I put it on Insta, um, not, well, I put it on Instagram too, but I put it on um, this uh, Pinterest, uh, which was new to me at the time. And people started pinning that, mm-hmm. you know, so-and-so just pinned that. And there were, there was a, a few people that were grabbing it who had tons of photos from different fire trucks all over the place. Uh, from different times, you know, and they were collecting fire trucks. That's so cool. Um, I've seen stuff like that on the sites where people sell their art too, that uh, some people will specialize in rusted vehicles. And yeah, it's it's all about collecting something that's, that's cool to the collector. And that's, that's what I think is really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, there are people who collect vinyl and, you know, VHS tapes came back. You yeah, know? for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all those things. 
Uh, Robert, you do a few other things outside of the NFT, which, by the way, you know more than you thought you did. Um, <laughs> I think I just, I feel like I, like a dentist right now, like I just pulled teeth out of you and you didn't know you had that many. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of the, the things that you do is you also, you have the, um, this is something I tried out a long time ago too, when they first started, I actually spoke with one of the founders, um, uh, in Udemy. Right. Cool. And so, yeah, because of the mobile film school. Gotcha. And he thought, yeah, he thought it was a great idea and everything like that. The, 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 diff- the thing, though, for me with the mobile film school is that I wanted people and you became a part of our mobile film school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a virtual instructor. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I wanted to do with the mobile film school is bring people so that they could get their hands on all the toys. Right. Right. Uh, and and experiment with them, uh, but at the same time, I wanted them to learn storytelling and filmmaking, because it's very um, it's very hard to virtually. Uh, I mean, you know, there's all the the YouTube presentations about tech, you know, the tech, the gear, and things like that. But then they they get updated, right? And then you have to start all over again. But for the people who are consuming that. They get involved, they get engulfed in the tech, and they forget about the other part, the filmmaking part. <laughs> right, I hear you. They, bec- they become artists, I mean, addicts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for you, uh, you do these, you've been doing this for a while on Udemy. You're an instructor there. I am, yeah, I, absolutely. I teach uh, acting and I teach filmmaking and uh, some leadership for creative people as well, yes. And so uh, I'm, we're going to share the link to that. Uh, on the show notes, you know, for for that um, with our listeners. You, I found out that you have a link tree. I have also. a link tree. Yes, I've joined, yeah. I've joined the link tree era. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on your, we'll put a link to his link tree. I feel like I'm tongue twisting <laughs> myself. Uh, but you can keep that updated through time so that I don't have to worry. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's the link. And if you go there, everything's updated by Robert, um, which is great. And we're going to share also other links, you know, to follow you like on Twitter, um, uh, Duncan Rob Mm -hmm. at Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're also on IMDB. Then you have your Instagram, which is Robert David Duncan. And say that three times fast, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and you're also on Facebook. What is your handle on Facebook? I'm sorry. That's a, I don't have that that's one That's a on good here. question. I think it's, um, we'll get it in the link tree for sure. I think it's on there, but I think it's uh, Robert David Duncan Art. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have, um, you have created so much. I'm just so impressed with all that you've created. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, another thing that, uh, that you're doing is you are one, this is not the first time, but this is the first time since we've transformed our film festival geared more towards professional, I shouldn't say professional, but, but more experienced uh, filmmakers to get some really good films shot with phones. I mean, we've been doing this for years now, right, yeah, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, um, we are so excited to have you on the short film competition panel 
Why don't you share a little bit about your experience with our film festival? Just, you know, just to show off a little bit. I hope you have good things to say. I do. I do. <laughs> it was um, it was a really wonderful experience for me to go down to San Diego in uh, 2015 um, because that was the first time I ever saw one of my films on a big screen. And uh, there's nothing that compares with that. And the experience of being at the festival was just um, so fantastic. I met so many great people. I'm still in touch with, with so many of them. Uh, we did some teaching of uh, sharing skills, lots of panels. Uh, I'm still in touch with people who attended those things on social media. So uh, to me, it was uh, one of those, you know, what you call a watershed moment that it really brought me into kind of a mature sense of, of, yes, this is something really cool that I enjoy. And it, it, so I can't say enough great things. And we've been in touch through the years um, uh, in, in different versions of your festival. And I just, I think the world of it, as you know, and uh, it, it was it was truly a terrific experience. Thrilled to be back as a judge again. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's going to be so cool. And I'm so looking forward to seeing everybody's films. Yeah, I think, see, part of my excitement with this is like, hey, Rob, remember, you know, where mobile filmmaking was at the time, you know, because you sat there and watched all the films and everything. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, I'm going to bring back a little bit of a memory um, during the, the festival, right? Um, well, we were all in, in the theater and the films were playing on the big screen. And I remember sitting down, every film that came up where someone was attending, like you, Adi, Spectre, mm -hmm. uh, Prakash, mm -hmm. uh, let me see, Prakash Gandhi Natarajan. Yes. Uh, I finally learned to say his name right. I'm so proud of myself here. Uh, <laughs> but I remember sitting down, I knew the film was coming up, and then I would sit down next to each filmmaker and sit next to you. Because not because I thought, oh, this was going to be thrilling for you to see the founder, you know, to sit with the founder while your film was playing. It was thrilling for me, you know, to observe and be a part of your experience watching your film uh, at the film festival during the showing of your film. And so I remember that. And I remember doing that with you and sitting next to you and say, and looking at your face, and you were just like the, a five-year-old <laughs> watching your first theater experience or something. It was awesome. awesome. It was awesome. So, That's a great memory. <laughs> yeah, I just had to share that with you because I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't remember if you remembered it, but I, it just came to uh, mind. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the things about sharing this with you as a judge at this point is I think it's thrilling uh, that you're going to get to see the progress of all the uh, of the mobile filmmaking uh, community, basically, who've submitted films into our film festival. Fantastic. I can't wait. What would you give advice to? I know you and I both have this this passion for storytelling. Mm -hmm. And but I also know you're an instructor, you teach filmmaking, you've kept up with um, a lot of uh the progress that mobile filmmaking with smartphones has made. What would be the, your best advice to give to uh, filmmakers who've uh, just, just to get them inspired to at least get started without saying, just jump in, just do it. You know, I would say um, I would encourage people to remember that 
the best camera is the one you have in your pocket or your your bag, you know, and the one you have with you. And I would say, you know, please just go out and shoot anything. Don't self-censor. Don't second-guess yourself. Anything that looks cool, just grab some film of that because uh, you can build up a library and that stuff will always be helpful to you at some point. And that's what I would say is just, uh, you know, it's what I did was get in the habit of filming whatever my impulses said was cool. I'd film a squirrel, I'd film uh, waves on the ocean, interesting patterns made by the wind and the trees, you know, it, it didn't matter. And pretty much for most of that stuff, I've been able to use it at some point in some kind of film, narrative story. And I think story is so important. So I'd, I'd say that would be the, the number one thing. And the other thing I would say is don't, um, I hope nobody loses the beauty of the phone. It's so simple because it's so small and it's so mobile. And I think that's, that's one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, you can always do some cool work with the thing that you have in your hand. And, uh, uh, these are great cameras now. They've gotten better and better. Uh, there's some wonderful software that we all we all love to use. And, uh, you know, I mean, audio stuff has is, is improved terrifically. It's all gotten better and better. So um, you have it. Don't use it as a phone. That's a waste of the technology. It's a ca- It's a camera. <laughs> Go out and have fun with it. It's a camera that happens to have a so phone. So I'm reminded every few years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do the same thing with photographs, mm-hmm. actually. Just a habit I've had since I was a kid of, of taking pictures of everything. But a lot of times I take pictures of things. Uh, everything is a picture. Everything is a video. Everything is a story mm-hmm. uh, all around us. And so sometimes I'll take pictures of little somethings, you know, like leaves on the, on the ground, you know. And then later I, I edit them. You know, on the phone, I like to use the native Mm -hmm. app on the phone. Uh, A lot of people, you guys, if you take a photo of something, you can you can uh, duplicate that photo so that you always keep the original and then edit using the native iPhone camera uh, um, photo uh, when you open it up in in your camera roll. And you can edit that and uh, use the manual controls. I mean, there are filters, but there's also that. And what I do is I use that a lot of times in graphics. Um, I use that for, you know, marketing and things like that. But I, I, you know, like the Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, you know, uh, I use that from one of those photos. And why bother with stock footage? Oh, absolutely. You know? I, uh, the stuff you take is the stuff you own. And um, ownership is so huge because you can do anything with stuff that's yours. I think it's, a, it's such a good piece of advice. Yeah. And it's the same thing, you know, what you were talking about, having a library of footage, you know, of things that you can use in other films, you know, for, a, for an opening scene or a transition. Mm-hmm you know, an establishing shot, you know, um, there's, there's just so many ways that you can use things, even audio, like, you know, you have a great, uh, recorder. Are you aware, uh, Robert, that the memo, uh, app on your iPhone, that if you go to the settings, you can actually set it for lossless recording. Yes. It's wonderful. It's a, it's amazing, huh? Yeah. And so you can literally record uh, 
birds in the background, you know, and use that as one of your audio tracks, you know, uh, in your film. No, I completely agree with you. And I'm always gathering bits and pieces that I can make into art. Um, You know, I even do that outside the film realm. Uh, You know, I might see an interesting uh, leaf or something on the ground and, you know, it could become part of a collage or it could be something I'll photograph along with other things or uh, film, you know, that, uh, Uh, I can make from it. So uh, it's that kind of always have an eye to something that could be cool in some way and and try to, you know, um, capture it. Now, Robert, we're going to end this podcast by going back to the beginning. Um, I want to talk about uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the link to Mr. Sadhart's Small Day. So that people watch it. Now, (laughs) it's a very short film, but here's what I want you to do. I want you, I think the story behind the making of this film is quite special. So if you don't mind, I don't think you mind, right? Sharing that? Sure, yeah. It's it's an interesting story. So um, I was going to an acting audition and I was taking the train out to uh, where the audition was. And I was sitting on the train and I looked out the window. The window was really dirty. (laughs) It must have been through a splashy storm or something like that. But somebody had drawn a face like a smiley, but with an upside down smile. And I was looking at this and I was watching the scenery go by through the the cleared out parts that were the the smile and the eyes and the the circle. And I I suddenly thought, this is actually really neat because I'm seeing the scenery go by through this person's or this being's eyes. So I just grabbed some footage of it with my phone, kind of, again, very impulsively. And then when I got home, I I looked at it and, you know, it did look really sad. And um, (laughs) we pulled into a station at the end of the uh, film, which you'll see at, uh, you know, close to the one minute mark. And the lighting was such that the face vanished. And so I I just crafted a narrative about this person who rides the train and feels very invisible and that that's a painful thing. And he disappears at the end. And it was really that simple. And it was something that uh, was one of the first times I was able to do a film with my own resources at hand, just impulsively like that. And it it set the stage for for all the other films uh, in so many ways that I've done. And that, and the reason why I wanted to end with that, not only because that is such a cool backstory, but it also goes to prove that point that you were talking about, what we just talked about, basically going out and filming stuff and then bringing it back home. And someday you may be able to create a story from that. Absolutely. That's such good advice because, uh, and and, uh, again, I would say don't second guess yourself. Um, shoot first, ask questions later. I think that's one of the things I, I always <laughs> like to say. Uh, film stuff, just, you know, what, what harm can it do? You could always get rid of it. I hope you don't, but you could, right? So film stuff, yeah. Now, I'm also going to imagine that you have about a million external hard drives uh, filled with stuff, right? Cause I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and cloud storage is my friend as well, but yes, I have, I have a lot of, uh, things stored. Um, I do try to, it's kind of like using up stuff in the fridge. I, I do try to use everything in good time. Like hopefully I can do something with it, even if it's just some little, little story that has been meaningful to me anyway, uh, and explores a, a theme that I'm interested in. Uh, I'll just make it you know, toss it out there somewhere. And, uh, you know, if uh, two people like it, 
hey, I'm delighted. You know, one of the things you're you're not going to believe this, but one of the things I like to do at the end of every year um, is is literally sit down and watch every single film out of all the short films in our film festivals wow. throughout the years. Yeah, I go back from the beginning, from 2012 all the way through to the the present time, and I rewatch them all again, and I I literally enjoy wow, I it. Bet. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and yours is oh, one of that's them. That's great. So, yeah, yeah, because I keep them. I mean, I don't, you know, some of the films go on YouTube or whatever, but, you know, I, 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 for whatever reason, all of them aren't there, right? Um, sometimes it's the filmmakers, you know, who say, you know, no, don't put mine there. I want mine, you know, somewhere else. And so that's fine. But I have them, you know, I have them on a hard drive and I don't do anything with them. But I do watch them, you know, and for me, yeah, it's like a little, it's like a little, like some people, right, they'll watch, um, what is that, It's a Wonderful Life or something mm-hmm. every Christmas, you know, and if you take all the shorts, you know, one to five minute shorts, and you put them all together, it's like maybe two of those right movies, <laughs> you know? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really brings back the stories behind the stories and the people, you know, behind them uh, more than anything, you know. And it brings back a lot of memories, you know, like me taking photos of the screen while the film Mm -hmm. is playing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then, you know, messaging the filmmaker who's out in who knows where, right, they could be and say, look, people watching your, your film. I know you couldn't be here, but here it is, you know, so. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And yours, like I said, it's, it's one of them. And so, uh, rest assured, Robert, I watch your film every Wonderful. year. Wonderful. <laughs> and Mr. Sadheart lives on. I love that. <laughs> Great. Yes. Yes. And, and he's going to be, uh, or she, no, it's a mister. He is going to be <laughs> in this <laughs> a part. He's been a, become a part of this podcast. Hey. Say hello from me. <laughs> Um, so, all right. Any last words or anything that you can think of that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, I would just say, you know, if you're thinking about making a film with your smartphone or whatever camera you have, uh, please do it. The world needs your stories and, uh, it will make somebody somewhere happy and it will make you happy. So I just wanted to offer up those words of encouragement because, um, uh, anything you make is beautiful. I think all art is beautiful and uh, it's all worthy and it, uh, it deserves making and sharing. Oh, awesome. I, I love it. It's a beautiful message to, to end this with. Uh, say goodbye to our listeners, Robert. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs>